Hey there, this is Vinnie Moore, and you're listening to Michael's Record Collection. Michael's Record Collection. This is episode number 42, and I'm your host, Michael Citro. I'd love to hear from you. Please write to me at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com and tell me what you think of the show, where you're listening from, and who you might like to hear on the show. Check out the show's social media, Twitter at Mike's Records, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. For this episode, I spoke with guitar hero Vinnie Moore. Vinnie and several other well-known musicians just put out a tribute to Pink Floyd's classic album, Animals, called Animals Reimagined, a tribute to Pink Floyd. It's a great addition to any Pink Floyd fan's collection. Some of the covers are very close to the originals, while others deviate a little bit more. Uh, But it's a very diverse group of musicians coming together to create something out of a love for Pink Floyd's music. I spoke with Vinny about his involvement, his background, playing with Alice Cooper and Peter Frampton, joining the legendary hard rock band UFO, of which he's still a member, and his solo career. So let's get to that interview. Here we go. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I'm very happy to have with me today guitar hero Vinny Moore. Vinny, thanks for being with me. Thanks a lot, man. It's great to be talking to you. Appreciate it. I wanted to get a hold of you because one of the things that you've recently worked on, actually, I don't know how long ago you worked on this, uh, is a there's a new album out called Animals Reimagined. It's a Pink Floyd tribute. And mm-hmm. you played uh, on Dogs with former um, Rainbow singer Graham Bonnet doing vocals, uh, Utopia's Kasim Sultan, Jordan Rudess from Dream Theater, and the mighty Pat Mastelotto. How mm-hmm. did the musicians uh, involved end up on this album? The record company, Cleopatra, pretty much put it all together. And in fact, I was told initially that another singer was going to be on that track. And uh, I didn't know it was going to be Graham until it was totally finished. And they released the sample of the uh, music. And it was a pleasant surprise because I've always really liked Graham and a great singer. So, yeah, it was even better than I thought it would be. (laughs) And I knew who the other players were. I knew Jordan would be on it, which was really cool because... uh, We've done some stuff together in the past. He played right. on my Time Odyssey record back in 1988. And uh, he also played on a song, a solo, on my last record, Soul Shifter. So it was a cool um, little project. When I first heard about it from my manager, it was like, of course I want to play on a Pink Floyd Animals record. I was such a big fan of that record. But I had no idea it would be dogs. And they sent me the track, and I was like, it's 17 minutes long. It's like, do they want me to do a couple solos? No, they want you to do all the solos, all the rhythm guitars, all the acoustics. And I was like, oh my God, there was like a day where I went, I'm not sure if I have time for this because it's such a big undertaking. Uh-huh. And I thought on it for a day and I went, you know, this would be a really cool thing. I'll, I'll give it a week. And, you know, it took quite a while to do that because there was so many parts. Yeah. How many hours would you say you were you were working on just this? I'd say 
like a Monday through Friday type of thing. If I had to, I don't know the number of hours. I never kind of pay attention to that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but it took a while, you know, just setting up the acoustic guitars, getting lead sounds, getting rhythm sounds, and then doing the parts. And the hardest thing about it is I'm so familiar with that record. I could probably sing almost every lyric and <laughs> sing every David Gilmore guitar solo on the record. So, you know, initially it was like, what do I do? Everything I played just sounded wrong. And I know, it, like, in, in most cases, they didn't want me to duplicate what he played note for note. They want me mm-hmm. to add something new. But it just, like, sounded wrong to me. And, uh, you know, I just kind of tried to nod at some of his stuff, but take it in a slightly different direction. And, you know, the parts that were part of the song, like the harmony section, they needed to be played exactly as he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it would seem to be difficult to take something that you're that is so familiar to you and try to make it your own when it's I mean, how do you how do you improve on a Pink Floyd album like that? <laughs> right. And you just know there's like the hardcore Gilmore fans are going to be like, no matter what you play, Jesus could play on it. And they're going to go, ah, oh, it's, it's crap. That's not Gilmore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sounds like everything was done remotely. Everybody was working out of their own home studios on this. Yeah. Yep. Which is pretty much how I do everything nowadays. Yeah. Uh, luckily, which is what I prefer. Yeah. Who did you think was going to be the vocalist, if not Graham? It, you know, it was a, a guy I've never heard of. Um, I believe he's English and his name was Tim Boness, maybe. Okay, yeah, I know who it is. And I'm not actually familiar with him, so, you know, when I said I was more excited that Graham did it was because I know Graham, I know his voice, and him, you know, I should seek out some of his stuff and listen to it because I'm not actually familiar with him. Yeah, it's very interesting to me that they just picked the track for you rather than, like, letting you figure out which one you're most comfortable with. You know, I think I probably came in on the end and all the other tracks were already taken all the other guys took chose the short pieces and, <laughs> yeah. you know, let's, let some other idiot have that song you know 17 minutes <laughs> uh were you a you, you seem like you were a big pink floyd guy then growing up what was sort of your pink floyd origin story how did you become familiar with them wow i never really rem- i don't remember ever not being aware of pink floyd so i, I actually don't know but uh you know, Wish You Were Here, Animals, Dark Side of the Moon. Gilmore is one of my favorite players. His sound and the feel, there's so much like, gives you chills. And uh, actually, Time, the solo in Time is one of my favorite solos 
of all time. Yeah, sure. So we're going to take a little walk back through your career a little bit. And, and I wanted to ask you what life was like for you as a young aspiring guitar player growing up in Delaware. Did you, did you know a lot of other kids playing instruments? How did you kind of get started? Um, I got started because I was into rock bands like Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, Beatles, Queen, and they were all guitar oriented bands. And, you know, I was just into rock. And then there was one Christmas where I was like struggling to decide which gift I wanted Santa Claus to bring me. And I saw this uh, guitar, JC Penny catalog, and like I was fascinated by it and was like, you know, mom, I want that. And uh, there was some resistance at first, like, oh, you know, you really have to be dedicated and put time in to do that kind of thing. It's like, no, I want it. I'm sure I, I want it. And so I got a guitar for Christmas and uh, been playing ever since. Do you still have that guitar? No, I don't. Uh, a friend of mine who lived in Spain actually found one just like it, maybe about eight years ago bought it and gave it to me when I was over there. So I have one just like it. Uh, the original, I saw Ace uh, bands like Pete Townsend, you know, smashing his guitar and thought that was really cool. So I thought I'd try that. When I got a better guitar, um, I thought I'd smash it outside on the street. And I tried it and I learned a very important lesson. Never try to smash a guitar holding the neck because it hurts the hell out of your hands it stings <laughs> like crazy and so i'll never do that again all right good yeah i mean I, paint, I want i painted it silver you know i don't know why something to do with ace freely i think and, and then i eventually smashed it and yeah. yeah i guess it ended up in the trash unfortunately oh no so regardless of how many hours someone spends with any musical instrument um not everyone has a natural aptitude for the instrument. How long was it before you realized that you had the sort of ability that maybe other people didn't? Wow. I don't know if I'm even aware of that yet. <laughs> you know, I kind of played, I'd say for maybe a year and a half. And I got together with a group of guys who had a band. And then I just started to get really obsessed and really serious about playing. And I started practicing two hours a day and four hours a day and then six or eight hours a day sometimes even 10 i just got really loved what i i was doing you know it was you know just a passion and i loved what i was doing and i just wanted to do it all the time yeah the story goes that you sent a demo and a biography to guitar player magazine mm -hmm. and that is what led you or at least your hands to being on a pepsi commercial in 1985 <laughs> the choice of a new generation how old were you then and and how did that all sort of happen i believe i was 20 at that point and yeah there was a, a column that mike varney had in guitar player magazine called spotlight for new talent i sent in my tape and he gave me a really rave review which i've always been very thankful for and uh there was a production company in los angeles and they were casting for a commercial and uh, they were trying to find people and having 
problems. They kind of wanted Eddie Van Halen to do it. I don't think he was probably not interested. I don't even know if they asked him or not, but they wanted someone, you know, with his kind of vibe and a little bit of his look. And they were having trouble finding somebody. And for some reason, they saw me in that spotlight column and guitar player got a hold of me. And I was on a plane to Los Angeles the next day. I had never even flown on a plane before. And so I was out there auditioning. And initially, I was auditioning to be in the commercial as far as the video part of it. But that didn't quite work out because I was kind of, I mean, I was young, intimidated, very camera shy, you know, just too shy. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing the music, but Derry Graham from the band Honeymoon Suite did the video part. Oh, okay. It was a great experience. I flew out twice for it, once to do the 60-second version and once to do the 30-second version. Hmm. Do you have a copy of it still at your house, uh, like on tape or something? <laughs> yeah, I have the original tape, and plus I've made it into a video, and now it's on my YouTube page as well. Okay. So... You mentioned Eddie Van Halen and, you know, the the emergence of Eddie obviously had a huge effect on the guitar community uh, in general. And the 80s became known as the, the sort of the, the shred era. Everybody was shredding. How. How competitive were guitarists in that in that time? I don't know. I probably know more than they are now. I mean, everybody wants to recognized for what they do mm-hmm. it's funny i never really thought of eddie as a shred guy i mean he was shredding he was doing amazing stuff on guitar but he had he was such a great songwriter he had such a great feel and such a great groove rhythmically a swing to his playing he just like had the full package and uh i think calling him merely just a shredder is almost in a way not an insult but you know he's way more than that yeah i think with eruption everybody tried to just uh be that next you know fast speed and but you know but still be melodic at the same time well when that record came out van halen one i had only been playing guitar for actually less than a year i didn't even know how to play lead yet or even what a scale was Mm -hmm. and i heard that ending of it where he was doing the finger tapping and in my mind it was humanly impossible to play that fast or do that so i thought he was using like an echo pedal and maybe playing two notes and it was adding a third or a fourth and and so he wasn't actually playing at all (laughs) and you know he was of course but uh you know i just thought this can't he can't be doing that it's crazy yeah what uh was it like for you how did you go on the uh operation rock and roll tour with alice cooper's band how did you meet alice how did that all come about i was in the studio doing the meltdown record and i was like on relativity records but uh also epic we're both involved and i forget the details but anyway alice was also on epic and so we kind of had the same a and r guy named bob Mm -hmm. pfeiffer and uh alice was Alice was having guest guitar players on his record. It was the Hey Stupid record. He had Steve Vai, Satriani, Slash, and I think some other ones. And so initially, Bob recommended me, hey, you should check out Vinny. And they were heard, they, they heard that we were in the studio doing the Meltdown record and that things were going really good with the record and, you know, a good band. 
So initially it was just me going up to Bearsville Studios, driving up one night and the next day playing on two songs, you know, as a guest. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much it. But then a couple months later, I, you know, got a call saying that he would like me to join the band and do the, the next tour for his, the Hey Stupid record. At the time, I was a little bit like apprehensive and reluctant because I was doing my record. It was just finished. And we had talked about doing at least six months of solo during. And I'm like, well, if I go do the Alice thing, then I'm kind of abandoning my record. You know, so at first I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. But then the longer I thought about it, you know, as time went by a little, I thought, hey, this is going to be a really cool thing. Mm -hmm. I've got to do it. So, uh, yeah, I joined the band and did the tour. And that's how, how it all came about for me, just having a guest spot on the record to be asked to do the tour. And then they got they asked Greg Smith, my bassist, to also join the band because they were looking for a bass player. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's how that all happened. That's good. You had someone to go out with that you knew already, so that was, that was uh -huh. good. You mentioned uh, some of the players on Hey Stupid, um, you know, Slash, Satriano, uh, Satriani, Steve Vai, Mick Mars, and Nikki Six were on that. Were you ever physically ever all in the studio at the same time? No. When I went up to Bearsville, I mean, Alice was there, Steph Burns, who was his guitar player, permanent guitar player, and uh, uh, Peter Collins was producing, and uh, Paul Northfield was engineering, and Paul actually went on to mix two of my records uh, recently. So, yeah, no, none of the other players. I think some of the stuff was done in Los Angeles. Yeah. Did you play their parts faithfully on the tour? Or did you kind of make it your own? How did that work? I always try to make it my own um, unless it's called for, unless like, you know, that's what Alice wants or, or sometimes and it's the same thing with UFO. Like one of their original songs has a part that I feel is just like such a big part of the song, then I have to do it. You know, it's a part of the song, but the parts that were improvised, you know, I'll improvise. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of me deciding what I think is part of the song, what is more of a feel in the mm -hmm. moment kind of thing. So the two songs that you did on Hey Stupid were Hurricane Years and Dirty Dreams. Turn yourself blue and I don't 
Uh, did you contribute to any of the other songs or was it just those two? Just those two. And we didn't do them live, which was like a bummer for me. I was hoping we'd kind of do one of them, but they weren't in the set. And, uh, you know, also most of the stuff we did was Alice's older stuff. So mm -hmm. it was like Glenn Buxton's parts. And uh, he's a real old school player, of course. And I'm not really, even though I'm really into that kind of thing. It's mm -hmm. funny, I would be better at that gig now than I was then because, you know, some more of my old school type of things came out over the years. And at that point, you know, I was just in a different frame of mind, a different player, a different musician. So he's doing like uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy and eight, I'm 18 and all that stuff. Exactly. Okay. You've been with UFO since about 2003. How did you hook up with UFO and, and what was it like to, to become a member of that band? Uh, it initially happened because we had a mutual friend who named Jerry Carrillo, who was my guitar tech at one point and also did sound for UFO. So he heard they were looking for a player and he recommended me. And then also their manager, Peter Canorn, used to manage uh, Michael Schenker. And I did a tour with Michael Schenker back in uh, 1999 when my Maze record came out and I met Peter during that tour. So he was now managing UFO and he was aware of me. Jerry suggested me. So it all you know came about between the two of them. And I was asked to send uh, some of my music to Phil. And so I think I put like 11 of my songs on a CD burned a CD for him and sent it. I didn't really think I'd hear much about it, honestly. And uh, like two weeks later, I got a call saying Phil loved it. And he wants you to join the band. And you've been there ever since. <laughs> yeah, there was no audition or anything like that. In fact, we didn't even like rehearse and do any shows. The very first thing was doing the uh, You Are Here record. We met in the studio and uh, started going over songs and recording. Is it difficult to keep the the band thing going while you're also working on your solo career? Sometimes it's hard to juggle. Like I'll be in the studio recording a, some solo stuff and I want to finish it and I have to go out and do a tour. But now I would give anything to go out and do a tour. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes, you know, it interferes. Things in kind of get in the way of one another. But for the most part, I've got good at like picking the spots, you know. With yeah. UFO, it's not like a like a 10 month a year kind of thing. There we tour in spurts, do a record, and there's always open time, and that's when I do my solo stuff. Yeah. It takes a lot of scheduling and a lot of organization, I guess. Right. Picking the right moments. Yeah. You had a big uh what would I imagine was a huge honor for you in 2013. You got to perform with Peter Frampton on the Frampton Guitar Circus at Music Fest mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. Had you met Peter before? How did you how did you get on on that particular show? I hadn't met him, and he was doing this guitar circus thing and having different players come up in different cities. And um, I don't know how he heard about me, but it was, I got a call, and I was like, "Are you kidding? I'd love to do that." And uh, so it was all set. And then maybe like a week or two later, I was like, "Yeah, well, Peter needs to hear your songs." 
to figure out, you know, which ones to do live. And I'm like, what? Like, wait a minute. He wants to do my songs. I thought I would just be doing covers or some of his songs. No, he learns your songs. It's like, oh my God, that's, I was blown away by that. So I picked a couple songs. One of them was While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which I covered on the Time Odyssey record. But, and that was something they were already doing. So he had me sit on that one, in on that one as the encore. And we did uh, Over My Head and Check It Out, which were my songs. Now, as someone that grew up on guitar-based rock, I mean, it just must have been amazing to you to be on the same stage as an icon like like Peter Frampton. Exactly. It was also very nerve-wracking, you know, because you're out of your element, so to speak. I mean, when you're on tour doing solo shows or when I do shows with UFO, you know, you're kind of used to it, you know. Sure. But this was like outside the comfort zone, like, wow, I'm going to go play in front of his audience who most of them probably haven't even heard of me and they're going to be like, who's this guy? Yeah. But it went over really well. And it, I actually went to see him a year, maybe a year or two after that. And he heard I was coming and asked me to bring my guitar and play again. So I ended up jamming with him again. That's great. Are you guys still in touch or was it just like a couple of time thing? Um, Every once in a while we text, like I was laying, trying to do some talks box stuff. And couldn't quite get it good enough. And I jokingly mentioned it to him and he gave me a tip that, you know, you know, in a text about talk box, which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah, he would know. <laughs> um, yep, he's the guy. <laughs> the most recent UFO album, the Salentino Cuts, is a covers album. It came out in 2017. idea was it to do covers and how did you pick the songs it's a very eclectic mix it was actually presented to us by the label which was also cleopatra records mm -hmm. you know and they had this idea i think initially they wanted ufo to do redo old ufo songs and phil just wasn't into that like mm -hmm. he doesn't want to go back and 
re-record Lights Out or whatever, Only You Can Rock Me. So then they said, okay, well, what about a covers record? And he was a little on the fence about that. And the band started to think it was a good idea. So we kind of convinced him to a certain extent. And in the end, he, he was really into doing it, keen on doing it. But picking the songs was absolute torture, to be honest with you. <laughs> and it took forever. And we'd be on the bus having a beer or two driving overnight. And we'd come up with all these songs. And, you know, different people would be recommending different songs. And Phil would be like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. And then like two days later, oh, no, that's not good. So we can never get anywhere with choosing the songs. Yeah. And uh, finally, we managed to find whatever it was, 10 or 11, that, you know, he felt good about. Yeah. So it was um, the, the ideas kind of came from everyone, but kind of Phil had the, the yay or nay vote on them. Yeah. I mean, as the singer. Yeah. It's it's, you know, it's got to be in his range and all of that stuff. Right. He's got the front man and yeah, the range. And lyrics. I mean, there was like somebody recommended a John Cougar song and he listened to the lyrics and he's like, you know, I love the song, but as an Englishman, I can't really sing those lyrics and yeah. feel it because, you know, I'm not, it's, you just can't do it as an English guy. Yeah. I noticed, I mean, you guys did paper on fire and he, he does change the, uh, the, the way he arranges the vocals on that a little bit for the song, but mm -hmm. it, it works. It works. was a lot of fun doing that yeah i mean so, i didn't agree with all the song choices but hey <laughs> that's you know being in a band yeah paul raymond passed in 2019 that must have taken a lot out of the band i know you have some dates scheduled for 2022 in europe but what what is the status currently of ufo at the moment well we were already out in the middle of the big farewell tour and uh right after we did england um like one week later, man, got the message that Paul had passed and man, he was so happy. You know, we were really having some successful shows, good crowds. Everything was going really well. I know he was very, very happy. And, you know, it's kind of a shame that he had to kick off when things were going really well. But uh, and at that when I first heard it, I thought, OK, this is probably the end of the band. But then uh, there started to be some talk pretty quickly about uh, Neil Carter who had played in the band before stepping in and uh, which actually happened. He, I think he was with us for like a year. We did like a year's worth of shows and then COVID hit. So we had all these gigs lined up that had to be 
pushed back a year and then they were pushed back a year again. And so now we don't go out and uh, let's see, uh, June, Europe yeah. in 2022. So how is UFO viewed abroad as, a, as opposed to here in the U.S.? Um, it seems to be the same to me everywhere. There's like a certain fan, you know, they're all old, (laughs) (laughs) you know, a lot of them actually are. And, but then you see some younger people, middle-aged people at the shows too. So people bringing their kids to, to teach them about UFO, that kind of thing. Exactly. A little bit of that. And then there's just some young fans there too, which is very surprising. Yeah. So we got a pretty wide demographic age-wise. Soul Shifter was your most recent solo album in 2019. When can we expect more new solo material from Vinnie Moore? Well, I'm almost finished right now. In fact, we're starting mixing tomorrow, so it won't be that long. Yeah. And, you know, I have my own label now, and so I'd say I'll have it out within the first four months of next year. Awesome. Awesome. Um, anything else you're working on? I know you do a lot of these, uh, well, maybe not a lot, but I know you, you are always willing to, to sit in for someone else and, and do some of these tribute albums and things like that. You got anything else going on right now? Uh, nothing at the moment. I mean, I just did some things with a guy named Randy Pratt, who is a bass player. He used to have a band called the lizards and he's been doing these records called ruffians with this guy, Ed Terry on vocals. And I've played solos on a couple of his tracks and i don't know when that'll be out but yeah some really good stuff finney who are some of the guitarists today that that have caught your attention oh man i always freeze up when (laughs) i'm asked this question um guthrie govin is amazing yeah Yeah, he really is Um, bumblefoot runthal is amazing um there's more i know that i'm not thinking of oh there's the kid from italy uh Mateus Mancuso, well, he's okay. not really known right now, but the kid's a monster. He's like maybe 20, maybe 19. Yeah. Uh, have you been keeping up in touch with Alice over the years? No, you know, I went to see him recently in Atlantic City. It was the first show of his tour um, since COVID, and um, they weren't having anybody backstage yeah yeah of course because of the risk of covid but i did meet with his manager afterwards for a while we talked about the good old days yeah that was as close as it got i bring it up because that was one of the first shows that i attended after things started opening back up and i saw uh you know with ace fraley opening for him and i had never seen her before but his guitarist nita strauss is amazing yeah i thought all three guys were her and the other two guys it was a good band for sure yeah Excellent. 
Vinny, it's been a great time talking to you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I, I know that uh, this this Animals Reimagined is is really a great record. I hope that it sells. I don't know, you know, how people view tribute records in 2021, but it is right. a little different. It's not just a straight copy. Uh, there's a lot of big name players on this, and I think it's going to do really well. You know, thank you, but I haven't even heard the record yet. I'm still <laughs> waiting for a copy. And uh, oh, no. I don't know if it's on Spotify. I don't really do Spotify. Yeah. And, yeah. It's uh, on Spotify. I'll, I'll try to get Cleopatra to send you a copy. <laughs> there you go. I deserve at least two or three for all the work I did on that thing. You sure do. That's, but yeah, that's, I'm excited to hear some of the other players like Dimiola. I was always a big fan of his, you know, growing up. And, yeah. Uh, all right. Vinny, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Good luck to you in the future. And I hope you get back out on tour soon. Thanks, man. Good talking to you. Hope to see you out there somewhere. Thank you. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon, at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. <laughs>